Not a big radio row guy. Now, that being said, if my boss is listening, I mean, send me. I want to go and I want to try to meet famous people. The radio show won't be very good, but I'd like <laughs> I'd love to go. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. We're live at Radio Row. I can't believe... <laughs> I can't believe they're letting me get away with it. I can't believe I'm here. I'm looking around, all these important football people, some of the best and brightest minds in the NFL. Then there's me. <laughs> I've commandeered Bill Michaels' table, and we'll do so for the next two hours. This is just so, it's so funny to me. And I love this show. Uh, I think we have awesome callers and good takes, good coverage of our Wisconsin sports teams. Uh, we just have no business <laughs> He's no business being a radio row. I'm looking at the Pat McAfee set right now. This is this is robbery. We're really getting away with something this week. And I think it's awesome. I think it's hilarious to get away with something that, like, isn't harmful. Like, you get away with, uh, like, shoplifting. Okay, that's that's bad. Like, I feel guilty. Uh, we used to TP houses in high school. Get away with it. And I'd, I'd feel bad because, you know, someone's house is being desecrated. I remember in college, we used to steal the uh, Little Caesars sauce cups. And while they're only like 69 cents, which I guess begs the question, why don't we just pay for them? I always felt bad after we steal. I'm getting away with something this week, and I don't feel bad about it at all. And I think that's absolutely hilarious. I'm having a great time. I see Chris Sims. I see Pat McAfee. We're next to Tom Curran, NBC Sports, Boston. Kevin Clark, ESPN's over there. I was just talking to some pro football focus guys. And I don't say all this to brag or name drop. Uh, Bill Michaels tells me not to name drop all the time. <laughs> It's one of my favorite jokes to make. Yeah, Bill Michaels tells me all the time never to name drop. Uh, I don't say this to name drop. I say this because I want to highlight the ridiculousness of of what we're doing this week. Oh, this rips so hard. Hell yeah. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Live from Radio Row in Las Vegas. My first time in Vegas. So doing my best to experience it all. I'd say no better people to experience it with than Bill Michaels, Mike Clements, uh, Erica is here. Kristen is here. It's been a ball. I'm excited to be on air and talk about some of these stories. And we'll talk about the Super Bowl this week. But you know we got to talk about the Brewers and Badgers, Packers. D.L. Hall said he's going to be a starter today. I'm tempted to just find a way to fly Kurt Hogue out here just so, just so we can talk about it. We are going to talk Badgers basketball tonight, uh, Packers and Brewers tonight. I don't want to lose the plot of the Wisco Sports Show this week. Because what makes the Wisco Sports Show the Wisco Sports Show, uh, it's in the title, which is why it's such a well-named show. We talk about Wisconsin sports. Uh, that's the point, right? So I, I want to continue to do all that this week, but I want to sprinkle in guests and because uh, and, and, we have opportunities to have conversations with people that we don't normally get to talk to, especially in person. So I want to take advantage of that. Tonight, we're going to talk to three guests, two of whom who have been on the show before. Uh, we're just going to do it IRL in real life now and not over the phone. Eric Eager, who's one of my favorite people in all of sports, one of my favorite people, period. Uh, Sumer Sports, he was at PFF. If you are a student that graduated from UW-Lacrosse in the same time window or in uh, maybe a slightly earlier time window than I did, you might have had Eric as a student. He is a WIAC guy and an honorary UW-Lacrosse Eagle. And once upon a time was an employee of Joe Gao, which has nothing to do with our conversation today, but it's funny. So why leave it out of the story? Matthew Collar's going to be here, Purple Insider. He's also got a book about pro football focus 
Uh, it's called Football is a Numbers Game. I want to buy it so I have something to read on the plane ride back. I wonder if I can, can I like express ship it to Bill's house, find it in a bookstore somewhere. I got to ask Matt because I would love that for reading back on the plane. He covers in this book the origin of pro football focus, how they measure uh, a lot of the metrics, how they do the rankings, how they do all the things, uh, all the behind-the-scenes stuff that leads pro football focus to basically spit out ratings and numbers and rankings that we see on TV. So we'll go behind the scenes a little bit of that. Plus, Matthew's just an awesome football guest. Uh, We can talk to him about the Vikings and the division and the Packers, the NFC North, all that stuff. So Matthew going to be here in one hour at 5 o'clock, Eric Eager at 5.30, and then a brand-new guest of the show. So everyone, best behavior. We need to impress him. So sit up straight, please. Don't don't embarrass me, okay? It's Thomas Dimitrov, who was the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. He was in New England for a while as a scout, goes to the Falcons, almost wins a Super Bowl. I probably won't ask him about that. Uh, probably won't ask him about that Super Bowl against his former team, right? The Patriots, where they blew the 28-3 to lead in the third and fourth quarter. Probably won't ask him about that. But ask him about team building. Definitely want to talk to him about draft process, Jordan Love, all of the things. So he's going to close the show out with us at 545. I would read the phone number, but uh, we can't use the phones this week, which sucks. But we'll be back next week and better than ever. I can only imagine what uh, crazy and uh, sexually suggestive things Tony in Texas will come up with uh, the week that we are apart. So we'll get back to the phone calls next week. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant if you'd like. Send me a DM or uh, tweet. We can be uh, together during the show. I, I, I do want to talk sports. I have to share some of my Las Vegas observations because I've never been here before. And it would be such a waste to not tell you about some of the things that I'm seeing uh, and thinking about while I'm here. It's my first time here. I'm not a gambler. So, like, I like to have some drinks and have a good time. Who doesn't? But I live in Wisconsin. Like, I live in the place to have drinks and have a good time. Because a rum and coke in Wisconsin is, like, 250, and after you drink it, you can light your breath on fire. And that's not ideal because you can get really drunk. Unless you're looking to get really drunk, then it's super convenient. But also, it's just efficient. Like, I can I can have a couple of drinks and a night out on the town with friends at a cash-only bar, which, by the way, is how God intended our taverns to work, cash-only. It's how every bar should be. But I can go out and have, a like, a $10 night with buddies if I play my cards right out here, like a gin and tonic last night at not a high-level casino. It was, like, 18 bucks. So I've I've never felt a draw to be in Vegas just because I'm not a gambler, and I live in Wisconsin. If I want to drink, like, I I don't need to go far. I live in the place to do that. So Saturday we fly in, have a quick lunch. We get to the crib, get settled in. I unpack some of my clothes. I, I pulled out all the stops. I have a sport coat with me. I never dress up. I've only worked in radio. I've never worked in a professional office setting. Nothing like that. So, you know, lay all the clothes out, hang them up. And see, see the sights. You know, drive around the strip a little bit. It's like, okay, I, I got a feel for this thing. Feels like a combination of Phoenix with a little bit of the Wisconsin Dells. Like, that was my first thought. A little bit of novelty, a little craziness. All right, not my thing. You know, I, if I go on trips, I like being out in nature. I like being by water. You know, Vegas, not not really my thing, right? Then we went out on Saturday night. We had dinner, and I had one drink. I had one. I had one gin and tonic. It was delicious, by the way. Uh, Mike Clemens inspired me. He's a big G&T guy. I had one drink, and all of a sudden, my whole worldview and perspective of this changed. I'm like, oh, so this is the greatest place on earth. I just needed to have a couple sips of a liquor drink to see it. Vegas shows me, and I say this in in both a good and a bad way, Vegas has taught me in the last 48 hours how far the human race has strayed from God's light. Like every day, 
uh, some wise man wrote. I don't think it's in the Bible. I think it's attributed as a Bible verse, but it's like every day we stray further from God's light, right? This city is respectfully such an unholy creation. What possesses a man or men or people to create this place? I don't understand. This city, this city is the epitome of privilege. And I don't mean privilege like white privilege, like woke. No, I, I don't mean it like that. Like, we are privileged as a society to create something as ridiculous as Las Vegas. Like, what what motivates, what possesses a man to build a, a miniature New York City with a roller coaster going through it? A man only does that if there are truly, like, no worlds left to conquer. Right? When you think about it, like, what motivates a man? We are on Fremont Street the other night. What motivates a man to build a massive LED screen roof over a street. The cars drive down, like an outdoor a road. And they're like, what if we took this road and put it inside? It's like, what? The only, one man that does that, the only man that does that is one that has already turned over every single societal leaf. It's like, we have looked everywhere. We can find fulfillment nowhere else. Let's just build a road inside, inside of a massive TV. It's like, okay, why? why, why would anyone build buildings to not only accept smoking on the inside, but to encourage it. It's like, dude, light up. We're in a casino last night. I'm like, well, I don't smoke, but now I feel like I have to because I get to do it inside. Might never pass this way again. Right? Why why in buildings filled with hundreds of slot machines and gambling tables, it's like, you know what? We also need to put them in the bar. We also need like man only does these things because there is truly nothing left to do. Right. And some say like Montana is the last frontier, you know, out in this Wyoming. No, I'm here to say the last frontier is dead, because if there was any wonder and discovery left in this country, this unholy city would not exist. And I'm really enjoying it. But the ridiculousness of this place is not lost on me. And that being said, I won 40 bucks last night and smoked a cigar in a building. I felt pretty good. Not so much today, but <laughs> last night it felt really good. Uh, speaking uh, on the topic of the downfall of Western civilization, Purdue won yesterday, uh, which it's not nuclear winter, but it's it's pretty close. Like, that sucked. That really, really sucked. The only silver lining is, I guess, we're one game closer to Zach Eady being done with college basketball, which will be great because then we can all quit the charade of pretending that he's good at basketball and not just bigger than everyone else. You know, people say that Giannis is run and dunk. Okay, even if that's true, and I vehemently believe that it's not true, but even if run and dunk is true, Zach Eady is run and dunk minus the running, and for the most part, minus the dunking. He'll occasionally, like, plop it up in there, taco fall style. But if you believe Giannis is run and dunk, I don't know what that makes, Zach Eady. I cannot stand watching him. I cannot cannot, I cannot get along with the way that he's officiated. And I won't blame officiating for the Badgers' loss yesterday. That's loser behavior. We don't, we don't do that, except for when it's true. Then we do it. I'll, I'm not above blaming officials. But I won't blame the officials for yesterday. The Badgers did not lose because of the officials yesterday. But the officials and the officiating did contribute to my day being absolutely ruined. Uh, because I don't believe that officiating is all that complicated. It's difficult to execute, and it's one thing to missee or mishear or misread something. Like there's human error in every walk of life and every job. Officiating is no different, right? So uh, the act of officiating is hard. The principle is not that hard, especially in basketball and especially for a player like Zach Eady because we have precedent for a player like Zach Eady, right? There's an understanding. There's an implication with a player like Zach Eady. There's a give and a take. 
if you will, right? Like, there's a great give and a take with Giannis. There was a give and a take with Shaq. It's like, yeah, Shaq is going to lower his shoulder, and he's going to pull over people. He's going to throw people out of the way. And defenders are going to be able to match that physicality to some degree, right? So if Shaq can throw around his shoulders, then the defenders can be a little bit more physical giving it back to him. That's a reasonable agreement, right? And I think we see that with Giannis. And that's why, you know, a lot of people are like, Giannis gets like the worst whistle in the league. He's, he's getting killed every possession. Yeah, but he's also killing defenders every possession. So if Giannis is going to put his shoulder down and play football on a basketball court, okay, he'll get a certain amount of free throws and they're hard earned because he's working hard and getting to the line. But if Giannis is going to put his shoulder down every possession and drive and play basketball on a football court or football on a basketball court, the defense should be able to do that back to him to some degree. And I think that's a reasonable give and take. Zach Eady is Giannis or Shaq in that he's so much bigger and so much stronger than everyone else, except he gets a whistle like Trey Young. And it's honestly it's going to sound dramatic and hyperbolic it's not it's disgusting and shameful and up until this weekend i thought big 10 refs were better i thought big 10 refs they got taken for a ride in that overtime game in purdue last week in west lafayette with northwestern and i'm like oh big 10 refs they're too proud of a people they will not allow that to happen again well and they did so i i misjudged that i misread that uh and i apologize if i misled you about maybe the way that this game was going to be officiated ruined my day didn't cause the loss though Watching Zach Eady play basketball is enough to ruin any man's day. Even if he's in Las Vegas, yeah, that can can ruin someone's day. The officiating did not cause the Badgers' loss. Can't shoot three from 19 from three, and you can't go over in the second half. The second half was bad, bad, bad. They could not get any of their three-point shots to fall. And I think the whole idea, well, to make or miss league, I think that's lazy. I think, it's a, I think it's a lazy way to talk about a basketball game. I think anyone can look at a box score and say, oh, this team hit a lot of threes. No wonder they won. That's a make or miss league. Basketball's not hard. I think that's a, a lazy and reductive and honestly a boring way to talk about basketball. Like if you believe that three-point shooting percentages is all that dictates who wins and loses in the NBA or in college basketball, then I simply wouldn't watch. I'd be like, well, this is dumb. It's just about which team flukes their way into more three-point shots. Therefore, I'm going to watch another sport. Right. If I believe that about basketball, I just wouldn't watch basketball because that's a really lame way to watch basketball and to talk about basketball. But that's a big part of yesterday's game. Like they were they were one three point flurry away from winning that game. One. Right. I, just, I thought of Elf there. I'm one bad pitch away from being fired. One. Like the Badgers yesterday were one, you know, two or three point three point make flurry away from winning that game because they fought back man Tyler Wall brought him back and they dug down on defense and the Cole Center brought it yesterday I'll give all the credit to the Cole Center I don't partake in uh, crowd noise discourse at the Cole Center anymore used to I've matured out of that I've learned better I don't engage in 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 discourse like that uh, I just I, I think it's dumb and I'm not at the Cole Center enough to really understand it anyways it was loud yesterday I gave that crowd all the credit in the world and they helped him fight back they needed a couple threes didn't get them now, they could have won shooting three for 19 from three. Could have. You know, Chucky needed to shoot a little bit more. He was a tad sloppy. I'll say it brings me no joy. Love Chucky. But he was a tad sloppy yesterday. Now, his sloppy is, like, perfect for most point guards because his baseline is insane. His baseline is no turnovers, almost no fouls, always makes the right decision. He botched a couple decisions. He played a little tentative, had a chance in the second half to throw up an oop to A.J. Storr. I think he didn't because of the the alley-oop that went so poorly on Thursday night, which is a bummer. I guess I understand it. It's human nature. But I, I thought he was a little passive and he was a little sloppy to boot. 
And if Chucky is passive and sloppy and you shoot three from 19 from three, you're just not going to beat Purdue. Could always use a little more aggression from Stephen Crowell. I don't necessarily blame him this week. I know Vagabond John will. Again, I kind of contend that Vagabond John has lost the plot on some of his takes. And when we're back to taking phone calls next week, I'll straight up tell him. It's like, look, Vagabond John, you're good enough to talk sports without always needing to be the contrarian. You, you know, you can handle your calls any way that you want. But if your Joe Barry defense every single week is now going to turn into Stephen Crowell needs to shoot more, I, I guess I don't know what to tell you. He was getting doubled every other play in Nebraska. He's dealing with Zach Eady. I don't really expect that much from Stephen Crowell. I do expect more from Chucky, and I expect a little bit more from A.J. Storr. He took some bad shots in this game. Really inefficient. Killed a lot of possessions. Um, and Greg Gard after the game, oh, let me pull up this quote. This is, the, this is one of the funniest quotes I've ever seen, I've ever seen from a basketball coach. This is from uh, uh, the postgame press conference. Quote, when you're heat checking and we haven't got any heat, we can't heat check. When you're not on a roll, you got to dial that back. I love that quote as if to say, yeah, heat checks are great when you're hot. We weren't hot, right? <laughs> it's just kind of funny the way he worded it. It's like, hey, we shot a lot of dumb shots. But instead he said, yeah, we shot a lot of heat checks. Problem was we we weren't hot. Uh, there was no heat at all. So AJ Store jacked some shots that I didn't love. This Badgers team is way better than the teams of the last few years. I, I don't need to compare this team to, you know, teams throughout the last decade or 20 years. I, I don't know that that's productive. Plus, there's a lot of the season that's yet to play out. So I don't, I don't really want to start. I'm not like a historian. If you listen to the show, I'm not. This hasn't been done since 2001. And I remember I was three years old. And I remember in the second half, this player, I just don't have that good of a sports memory. And I don't really care. Uh, I'm not a big historian, generally speaking. So I don't know where this team ranks. I know they're a lot better than the teams of the last couple of years. And they can play like they played yesterday, and they could probably make the Sweet 16, and that would be fun. Or they could tighten it up and totally make a run to the Final Four. Okay, what the batters have to do is combine the talent on this team and the playmaking on this team with some good old-fashioned Bo Ryan fundamentals. Because that's the difference of this team, you know, talent and playmaking their way and kind of ramrodding their way to a Sweet 16 by hook or by crook, or tightening it up and actually going on a crazy run to an Elite Eight or a Final Four. That's the difference. This team, which is better than all the teams of, of the past couple of years, needs to play with the fundamentals that Bo Ryan teams did and lesser talented teams did. That's a tough balance to strike, right? The problem is this team is better than all those teams, and they know it. The problem is they know it, right? So they got to tighten it up a little bit. This team can absolutely go on a run. Tough week and absolutely ruined my day yesterday, but I'm in Las Vegas. I'm not going to complain. Hit me up on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. We're going to take a three-minute break, come back. I want to talk football. Uh, this Oh, my God, this poster of Brock Purdy staring me at the face. I'm so mad at the Packers and the Lions for allowing this guy to... Make a Super Bowl. Let's take a three-minute break. We'll talk football next. It's the Wisco Sports Show live from Radio Row, Mandalay Bay, the Mandalay Bay Family Restaurant. <laughs> Shout out Mike Clemens. Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. There we go. We back. I think we might be back. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills, and I hope that we worked through some technical bugs at the beginning of the show. I think we're back. Oh, yeah. Oh, we are so back. This is the Wisco Sports Show. We're live again at Radio Row. We just had to – we lost power. It's actually I – have a, I have a great story as to why the show is off the air for the last two minutes. So we're sitting here. We're talking Badgers basketball, and I say we're going to come back. And we're going to talk about football, and I want to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. And I, we left before that last commercial break, and I said, yeah, there's this big poster of Brock Purdy on the wall. 
that's just kind of staring at me while I do the show, and it bothers me because I don't really think Brock Purdy's that good. I don't think he really has any business being in this game. I think Jordan Love was better, Jared Goff was better, but I'm angry at the Lions and the Packers for allowing this to happen, right? And then we went to break. And right after I went to break, you'll never believe this, Terry Bradshaw comes out from the door right under that poster, the Brock Purdy poster. He starts walking towards me, and I give him a little bit of a smile and a wave. Uh, I'm not going to talk to him because uh, I'm, you know, little old Grant Bills. So I'm not even Bill Michaels. But, you know, he smiles and he waves. And when he was smiling at me, he must have lost his balance. He falls over and he kicks out the Ethernet cable that's plugged into the back of my broadcasting unit, takes the whole show off the air. I mean, it's a fiasco. I mean, it was almost too much. And I said, Terry, you know, I love it. You're great on the air. Don't get me wrong. And, and I'd love to book you as a guest this week. But, you know, you, just, you pulled a plug on my show. And he said, all right, I'm sorry. I'll make it up to you. I'll come on the show later this week. So if you're like, wow, Grant, this is really unprofessional. Uh, why is the show off the air? Can't you even keep your own show online? It's not me. Uh, it's it was. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, that's the story. That's the story that we're going to stick to. That's why the show is off the air. The reality is, when you're doing remote broadcast, sometimes things happen, and you just get back on the air as quickly as you can. But wouldn't that be? That's the story that we're going to stick with. Is that Terry Bradshaw kicked the cable out uh, from under the desk? I'm on Twitter at Wisco Grant. No phone calls this week, so sorry about that. I love the interactivity of this show. But we will try to keep up with that as much as we can on Twitter. Hit me up. You can DM me as well. Uh, we were talking a little bit about Badgers basketball. And it's funny. Denny from Holman messaged the Facebook page. Uh, and he said, Grant, what are your thoughts on the two Badger basketball losses this week? Uh, and then he replied, great show. Uh, because, Denny, if, if you would have listened for just a couple minutes, I was, we started the show with that. That's what we started. Thank you for your message. You can message the Facebook page. You can also message me in Twitter at Wisco Grant. I'm not going to call it X yet. I probably never will. We did our Badgers basketball stuff for the day. Brewers in the second half. Eric Eager. Uh, we'll talk with Thomas Dimitrov, who's a former NFL GM. He's now at Sumer Sports with Mr. Eric Eager, our good friend from Sumer and from UWL. And then Matt Collar going to join us in the second hour as well. There's this big banner, like I said, Brock Purdy hanging over on the wall. And it's been bothering me. There's been a lot of quarterback talk this week. Uh, we had a couple of guests earlier on Bill's show what did you think of Jordan Love, you know, the season that Jordan Love had? What, what did you expect from Jordan Love coming in? Were you surprised, you know, all the, the kind of cookie-cutter questions about Jordan Love, just getting the opinions and the takes from lots of guests who don't cover the Packers or follow the Packers as closely as we do. And there's been a lot of quarterback buzz. There's this weird story at the end of last week, and it's kind of rolled over into this week. Colin Cowherd just kind of, I don't say brazenly, just kind of casually said on the air and kind of alluded to the fact that, uh, yeah, by the way, Caleb Williams and his camp, they don't really want to go to Chicago. And I, I don't remember if he said last week specifically if they would, like, push back and demand to go elsewhere. I, I don't think that's what Colin was saying. But in, in very clear terms, Caleb Williams' his camp does not want to go to Chicago. And he walked that back just a little bit. I, I also, you know, I listen to a lot of Cowherd and – He's really close to USC and, and plugged into that team. And he's plugged in with Sam Darnold. I have no doubt that he's plugged in to, to a, a better degree with Caleb Williams than at least most. There has to be not truth to that, but there has to be some sentiment from that camp and from people around USC. It's like, I don't want to go to Chicago. That's where quarterbacks go to die. And then Cliff Kingsbury, who was Caleb Williams' guy last year, gets hired as the offensive coordinator in Washington. And, of course, Washington has the second overall pick. So they would be, or I guess could be, in pole position, if you want to put it that way, to trade up and, and get that number one spot. And they would have to pay a premium. 
But Washington, like Green Bay, very similar to the Packers, a lot of picks in the top 100. A lot of picks in the top 100. I believe it's the Patriots and the Commanders, maybe the Bears, are the few teams that have more draft capital than the Packers. And funny enough, you know, those were the three, three of the worst teams in football. Chicago is a little bit different because their high pick, the first overall pick, isn't theirs. Uh, it's via Carolina, so that's a little bit of a different situation. But Washington has a capital to move up if they want. I don't know. I don't know to what degree at all that Colin Cowherd stuff was true with Caleb Williams. It's really interesting, and I want to talk about coaches coming up next. we got to get a break in because Terry Bradshaw came through, kicked out our land cable. We had to take a break. <laughs> to take a break. That's the story I'm going to that's, – that's definitely the story I'm going to stick with. Uh, that's why we were off the air. But we do have to take a break and get one in here. When we come back, I, I want to talk about the coaching situations with some of these teams looking for a quarterback. So Washington's looking for a quarterback. New England should be looking for a quarterback. They have a new coach in Gerard Mayo. But it's so funny. I don't think of New England right away when we're thinking of new coaching hires because it kind of feels like they replaced Bill Belichick with a younger, like, rewinded version of Bill Belichick. It's like, here's a 35, 40-year-old Bill Belichick. So it, it, was, it wasn't an open search. They had a succession plan in place. So New England feels a little bit different. But I want to talk about the Bears, right, the Commanders, the Patriots, some of these teams and their coaches, they're looking for quarterbacks, and they're all in really tricky spots, right? And I want to talk about kind of why a head coach would end up in a tricky spot. I want to talk about Sirianni, McDermott, Eberflus, Sala, Pierce, and some of those teams at the top of the draft. Sorry about the technical difficulties. It's a remote broadcast, and sometimes that happens. There's not always something that you can do about it. Anytime you leave the studio, you're playing with fire, which, by the way, is why I don't normally like to leave the studio. But, you know, if we have a chance to go to Radio Row in Las Vegas, I'll fight through it. We'll push through some technical difficulties uh, because it's worth it for sure. Come on. Let's take a five-minute break. The Wisco Sports Show back after that. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. It's the Wisco Sports Show live. Mandalay Bay. It's this big convention center. I don't know. If I've ever been in a room this big, it smells like a Best Buy in here. <laughs> it's By the way, it is my intention this week to be the least Radio Row-like of all of the Radio Row people. I can't believe they're letting us do this show here. Bill, I get. People probably just think I'm Bill. I got the Bill Michaels show sign right here. Got all the cameras. I got my setup for this show. I like traveling light. I got a laptop, and I got my phone plugged in with an aux cable, and that's how I'm playing music. Which you might be saying, well, Grant, that's probably why the show crashed 10 minutes. No, that's not why. That, that was, no, no, no. It was Howie Long walked by and he kicked out the, the land cable. That's why. Or shoot, Terry, it was Terry Bradshaw. That's right. That's the story we're sticking with. It was Terry, not Howie Long, Terry Bradshaw. That's what we're going with. Hit me up on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. Uh, you can DM me, tweet me. I'm sorry we're not taking phone calls this week. Just too many moving parts, and especially when you're out doing a remote broadcast and there's just more things that can go wrong. There's more technical glitches. We'll get back to taking phone calls next week. Plus, Radio Row, the whole point of being here is you get guests in person, right? You can look a man in the eye and ask him a question about football, which you can't do over the phone when you're in studio. Matthew Collar, Purple Insider, he covers the Vikings, uh, but he's also just come out with a book. It's called Football is a Numbers Game. It's all about PFF and their system and how they they first started and, and everything. It's 
really interesting. Uh, I heard him talking with Bill earlier today, and I'm excited to ask him some some follow-up questions. I'm not just going to ask him the exact same questions that Bill did. And we're going to talk Packers and Vikings and NFC North and draft and, and all that stuff coming up. That's it. 5 o'clock at 5.30, Eric Eager, Sumer Sports, going to be here. And to close out the show for the last 15 minutes, Thomas Dimitrov from Sumer. He used to be the GM of the Falcons. He was a scout with the Patriots for a long time. So I, I want to talk to him about this coaching cycle, uh, some draft stuff, some Packers stuff. Really excited to talk with Thomas. Right before we took that last break, talking a little bit about the quarterback scuttlebutt in this upcoming draft. You know, Caleb Williams, this weird thing with Colin Cowherd saying that he doesn't really want to go to Chicago, which he probably doesn't. They probably just didn't want that broadcast on the radio. Deep down, they're probably hoping, like, man, if Washington could trade up or one of these other teams could jump up, probably wouldn't be mad, but not going to go all, you know, Elway or or one of these previous quarterbacks that I think Elway did that, right? That's the example I always see bandied about. I don't know that it's happened in my lifetime. Eli didn't do that, did he? See, this is why we're having guests on later with a much better football memory and base of knowledge than me. I don't doubt that Caleb Williams probably isn't totally psyched about the idea of going to Chicago, but he'll absolutely, I would imagine, go play there without issue if the Bears draft him, and I think at this point they will. You know, I was talking with Ben Kenny. This was just a couple weeks ago. I remember this. I don't remember why we were talking. It was probably something related to baseball. The Josh Hader trade, maybe we were talking about that for the hundredth time. And he was ranting about how the most important thing that a coach can do we talk about head coaches in the NFL, play calling and culture and decision making. He said he was he was arguing to me, Grant, the most important thing that a head football coach can do, and I've convinced myself of this, is hire good coordinators and good assistant coaches. You cannot be a good coach. You can't be a winning coach, a championship coach in the NFL, even a division winning coach consistently. You can't have consistent success, no matter how good your offense is, no matter how good of a leader of men you are and a culture builder. You need to be able to hire good coordinators. And I think we have this weird fetish in sports, especially in America. Like, I can't speak to soccer and other sports around the world, but I think definitely in American sports and the conversations that take place around American sports, radio, TV, we have this weird fetish where we want our coaches and our athletes to prove it 100% by themselves. Like, show me you can do it without a teammate helping you, without a great coach, without an all-time great all-star, you know, next to you. Like Brady won without Belichick. Now now Belichick has to go prove it without Brady. Nah, I have a pretty good idea that Belichick's a pretty good coach. I don't know that he needs to go to the Jets or the Browns or some other long-lost franchise and prove it that he can win. He won it with Brady. No one does it alone. No one wins alone. Well, MJ never won without Pippen. Yeah, no one has ever won a title without any help. No one's ever had a, a great career. No one's ever won at the highest level without help. No one wins alone. But we expect, for whatever reason, our coaches and our quarterbacks, and especially in the NBA, is, well, MJ had Pippen, and LeBron had Wade and Bosh. Of of course. Well, Kyrie made the big shot in 2016. Of course. LeBron can't hit every shot. No one wins a title alone. No one has consistent, deep playoff success in football or in basketball. or Baseball is a little bit different, so that probably doesn't apply to this conversation. But no one wins it alone. We we all want we want our athletes to be alphas. We want we want them to do without any help. And look, I'm an alpha. I, I get it. The, I, I do want my my favorite players and the best players to prove that they can uplift those around them. Like I, I want a, a great quarterback to show, and Patrick Mahomes is showing it. Like he doesn't need unbelievable wide receiver play. He doesn't need an unbelievable offensive line. You give him a good defense. You give him a good tight end. A good coach. Okay, he can make that work. Right? He doesn't he doesn't need it all to be perfect. I, I like that to some extent. I'm an alpha, I get it. But but let's be reasonable. No one wins alone. 
Okay, so I think head coaches in the NFL, offense, defense, if you're a special teams guy like Harbaugh, it doesn't matter. You need to be able to hire good assistant coaches, hire good coordinators, and develop them within your own system to some degree as well. You don't need to be a factory, you know, creating coordinators left and right in your own ranks, in your own organization. Naturally, you're going to get guys from other places, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit because Sean Mannion is now a coach with the Green Bay Packers, which I really like for reasons that we'll talk about coming up. And maybe we'll discuss that with Matthew Collar because he was on the Vikings, uh, and Matthew covers that team very closely, so maybe that's a good good topic to talk about with Matt, but... Like you don't you you need to be able to bring in and hire good coaches, good coordinators, right? And and, and this line of thinking has been known in the NFL for a while. Uh, I, I think maybe two or three years ago, the sharps in football really wisened up to the idea that it's harder to win and it's harder to win consistently with a defensive head coach. Because the offensive coordinator, if they're any good, they get poached, they go somewhere else, they become a head coach, and, and now your play caller offensive coordinator quarterback relationship has to start all over again at zero and that's really tough you can hire multiple good offensive coordinators right like if you lose like dan quinn lost kyle shanahan from the falcons in 2016 after the mvp year dan quinn nothing's preventing him from going out and hiring another offensive coordinator it's just really hard right it's like oh matt ryan this guy you had all this success with now he's gone and we're going to start over I don't know if the next guy's good. You guys are going to have to figure out the language together for, you know, figure out your idiosyncrasies. It's just a lot, and it's a lot of upheaval and uncertainty and inconsistency with really the most important player and the most important relationship in any organization, and that's head coach or, or, or play caller, offensive play caller, and quarterback. A lot of times these days it's head coach, but not always, right? It's harder to win with a defensive-minded head coach because OC, play caller, that, that relationship is less stable. We've known that to be true. And, and I look at some of the coaches in the NFL who I think are in a real bind in 2024, 2025. Not to say they're going into the year on the hot seat. I always think that's a little bit much. But guys who are raising an eyebrow a little bit, it's like, let's see if you guys start one and four, what the situation's going to be like, right? You, guys, you start two and six with a real ugly home loss to a division rival, right, in, in mid-October. Hmm. Hmm, how's that going to go? Right, guys that I have my eyebrow. Nick Sirianni, Sean McDermott, Matt Eberflus, Robert Sala, Antonio Pierce, which is tough. I don't think Antonio Pierce is going to get fired next year. I don't think he's on the hot seat, hot seat. I am just skeptical of of his path to success. I think it's a really difficult one. And I think all these guys, Sirianni, McDermott, Eberflus, Sala, Antonio Pierce, I think... They're all in a tough spot. They're in a bind going into next year for the same reason. There's a lot of upheaval at coordinator. Or it's difficult to get the right coordinator. It's difficult to get the OC or the DC. So Sirianni, right? They go to the Super Bowl. They lose Jonathan Gannon. They lose Shane Steichen. Both take head coaching roles. The Cardinals, the Colts. Brian Johnson, Sean Desai replace those two. Now Sean Desai was replaced this last year for Matt Patricia. And now in this offseason, both coordinators have been replaced. Now they got... Now they got Kellen Moore, who, not my favorite. And they got Vic Fangio, who had a lot of talent. Now, they were injured towards the end of last year, but I just don't know that the Fangio defensive system is in vogue in 2024 like it was maybe in 2018. Right? So Sirianni's got all this upheaval at coordinator, no stability at coordinator. You start to look around, it's like, okay, you can't get the coordinators right. You can't do much without the coordinator. What, what is it you do here? Right, Sean McDermott, you can only scapegoat the offensive coordinator so many times. 
Ken Dorsey probably feels like he got a little bit of a rough go, I would imagine. I think sometimes you have to make a change. But, like, the offense with Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey, they were scoring points. It wasn't a, it wasn't a problem. Now, there were turnovers, and it was messy. But the offensive output, you could EPA per play, points per game, all that stuff was really good, but had to make a change. Now Sean McDermott going into this year, he's a little bit of a raised eyebrow. Right, Matt Eberflus. The fact that Matt Eberflus is is in a tough spot, and I have my eyebrow raised at Matt Eberflus going into this year, just t- like that's enough to tell me that they should have made a change. Like, if there's any question about Matt Eberflus, like just do it now, because if you do it in a year, you're in a way worse spot, especially with a first year quarterback. And they did the same thing with Trubisky, John Fox to Matt Nagy, and then Justin Fields with Matt Nagy to Matt Eberflus. Like, it's 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 this carousel. And it's all related to coaches, coordinators, and, and the offensive play callers' relationship to a head coach. Robert Saul is in a tough spot because his offensive coordinator stinks, and he can't do anything about it because he's Aaron Rodgers' dart playing buddy, you know. And also, Robert Saul might stink as a head coach. I don't know. He's never had an actual legit quarterback. He had one for four plays and then blew out his Achilles. Antonio Pierce is just in a tough situation. Like, I, I want to see him do really well. It's a tough spot to bring in coordinators. They get Luke Getzey. You know, ask the Bears fans about what they think of Luke Getze. They will say he's a, a screen pass merchant. Um, I thought I, Luke Getze. Luke Getze and Nathaniel Hackett were somehow awesome in Aaron Rodgers' first MVP year. I don't know what they contributed, if anything. I still think that there's utility to both those guys, although it's really hard with Hackett, especially some of the things that came out in Diana Rossini's piece about the Jets last week. Like, Cliff Kingsbury, say what you want about Cliff Kingsbury. He's been a, a high-level offensive coordinator now at a couple levels. He's a head coach, and he chose Washington, which I think is smart, by the way. The Washington, the Dan Quinn, the Washington situation confuses me a little bit. We'll talk about that more coming up. We're getting into some great expert guests in the second hour of the show. Matt Collar is going to be here. Uh, we'll talk football, uh, obviously, but his book, Football is a Numbers Game, I want to talk about that, get the lowdown on on the research and the information that he learned about PFF in the process of writing that book. Eric Eager, Thomas Dimitrov, also to join us in the second hour of the show. Let's take our last break of the hour. Hope that we don't have any internet issues. I think we're in the clear. Bill had an issue in the first hour, and then he was in the clear. So hopefully that's the. Hopefully that is the way tonight. It's the Wisco Sports Show. We're live at Radio Row in Las Vegas. This is a ball. We're really getting away with this. Uh, so savor this. I'm not really sure how we're allowed to be here doing the show, but I think it's hilarious. We're back in three minutes. We'll wrap up hour number one of the Wisco Sports Show next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, Bill Michaels, Mike Clemens, Erica, they've all disappeared. They're off to opening night, and I'll be going there about an hour. Second hour of the show, we got some awesome guests coming up. Matt Collar is ready and waiting, standing by, going to talk about his new book, uh, that he really did a deep dive into Pro Football Focus, how it got started, how they come to decide on the rankings and the numbers and the ratings and the stats that like you see on TV. And we're all like, the nerds came. How did they even come up with it? Well, Matthew looked into it, and we're going to talk about that next. Plus, he's an awesome Vikings voice uh, and an analyst on basically anything in the NFL. But I especially love to talk Vikings, Packers, NFC North, the outlook for the division coming up. Eric Eager, who's been a longtime friend of the show. I absolutely love this man. He's going to be here later. And Thomas Dimitrov, first-time guest. So everyone, best behavior. I am reading the tweets. Let's keep them clean and productive tonight, please. Uh, as we have a guest to impress. So thank you. We'll do that in the second hour. Talking a little bit about coaches, coordinators. 
something that I definitely want to ask Matthew about. Sean Mannion is now a coach on the Packers staff, and Sean Mannion was with the Vikings there for a little bit. I remember when I was in lacrosse, uh, I was board opping a Vikings game on KQ98 because they're an affiliate. And Tony, who's like the Viking czar at KQ98, if you're in lacrosse, if you're listening on WK2I, you, you might know who I'm talking about. Uh, and me and a buddy on, I think it was a Saturday night. It was maybe one of those late season games. I got to go back and I got to try to remember which game it is. But the Vikings lost and were running the board in the studio for Vikings fan line. And we were, it was Saturday night, we're drinking. I can push buttons and drink a beer and also hang out with a friend. And we're like, let's call in. Like, what can we say that will not be totally trolly? Like, they'll get a kick out of it, but it's also kind of serious. And what my buddy did was call in and was like, hey, Sean Mannion, Super Bowl experience, worked with Sean McVay and the Rams. What if we give Sean Mannion a look down the stretch? Because it was late season. Uh, and, and like they could tell, I think his first comment of the call was serious and then he had a little bit of troll. So it was, it was, well, if I was hosting a post game show and someone called in, they were good sports about it. But I, I remember Sean Mannion would be at the Vikings and now he's joining the Packers as a coach and something we've talked about really since it became apparent that Joe Barry was probably not going to come back and all the discussions we've had with, with guests and, and all the calls on this show, I, I keep saying, I want Green Bay I would want any team that I was a fan of or an owner, as I am a Packers owner. I want my team to target coaches that are on their way up. Hungry coaches that are looking to climb, that are looking to go from uh, quality control coach to position coach to offensive coordinator. I want younger, maybe, could also be older guys. It doesn't have to be a youth thing. I want guys that are on the way up, that are looking to grow, that are looking to get to Green Bay and, and, and grow as coaches, grow as men. And that's why I like the idea. I don't know much about Sean Mannion. We'll ask Matt about him coming up. I like the idea of someone who's a promising young football mind and coach. At least the things that I've read have been good. They've also been from Packers people. Like, what's Tom Silverstein going to write? That Sean Mannion's a dope? Like, he can't. He also just got hired by the Packers, so that almost certainly can't be the case. But I like coaches that are on their way up. Now, you can hire a coordinator or a coach that's like, failed as a head coach, failed as a coordinator, so they're going to fall back into being or something and that that's worked head coaches that have failed and then fallen into a defensive coordinator role that can work really well too but this Packers team is also very young and coming out of this season is this, there's this new energy there's this new era the Packers feel very different than they've felt really my entire lifetime but certainly over the last 15 years post Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers and I think Matt LaFleur is wise to try to capitalize on that again that's not to say we're going to blow out anyone over the age of 50 and we're going to go all young but have a vibe with the coaches that matches the players, that matches the team. It was a very youthful, uh, kind of a brand new feeling with the team this year. And I like the idea of of matching that feel uh, with coaches that kind of represent that. Now, I can't wait to ask Matthew about Sean Mannion. I'm glad that I remember that Sean Mannion was hired and he was with the Vikings because uh, Matthew can certainly speak on that. So we'll do that coming up next. It's the Wisco Sports Show. We're live at Radio Row. This is absolutely hilarious. I can see Chris Sims. I can see Tom Curran like this is this just rips. I have no complaints, no notes. Two minute break. We'll get an update from Zach. Hour two of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Not a big radio row guy. Now that being said, if my boss is listening, I mean, send me. I want to go and I want to try to meet famous people. The radio show won't be very good, but I'd like. <laughs> I'd love to go. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. 
I've never been a fan of Radio Row. A lot of guests. I love guests on radio shows. But when it's like 20 a day, it's very overwhelming. Uh, so I've always complained about Radio Row, and I think a lot of it has been jealousy because I've never got to go. Uh, so I, I've said in the past, it's like, I can't stand Radio Row. I don't like it. However, if I ever get to go, I'm going to change my tune. And here we are in Las Vegas, and I've changed my tune. This is great. Anyone who's involved with football is here. Uh, and I think it's only going to get busier as the week goes on. At least that's what I've been told. Matthew Collar is here. You've been on the show countless times, an outstanding guest and contributor to my show, to Bill's show. Matthew, welcome. This is great. Yeah, it is. Uh, this is my second radio row. When uh, it was in Minnesota, I was there. And, uh, you know, today is not one of those seeing celebrities days because no one's here yet. Like, uh, I've heard that as we go along that uh, we will see more and more. And, and that's how it was in Minnesota. When you get to, like, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's when, you know, Terrell Davis is there or something. Like, that's when you start to see all the former players show up and they're pushing Skittles or Tide Packets yeah. or whatever whatever it is. I, I think that uh, I, I could understand from a listener perspective where you'd be like, who the hell are these people yeah. that you're bringing on? And maybe I fall into that category, although I think your audience has heard me enough. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, you know, I think it's 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 just sort of the pomp and circumstance of the entire thing going on. And a fun thing to participate in. Maybe not something you need in your life every single year, though. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, everyone, when he got out here, it's like, well, Vegas, you, you're only supposed to do Vegas for 48 hours. And I'm like, <laughs> we're here Saturday to Saturday. It's like, what's going to happen to me? But there's so much going on. And, like, I never get – this is the first time I've ever been around something like this. Like, I've gone to spring training and broadcast there. But I'm not, like, a journalist. journalist. I'm not in locker rooms, like, bumping up against players. So this is all very otherworldly to me. What was it like covering a Super Bowl in your hometown at your home stadium? Well, it was mostly uh, depressing for everybody there <laughs> because, you know, think about think about this way. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles have the same number of wins in the playoffs yeah. at U.S. Bank Stadium as the Vikings do since it opened, which is uh, very depressing for Vikings fans. And remember how close they were. Yeah. Uh, the NFC Championship. Now, they weren't close in the NFC Championship. The but first the, quarter, I thought they had. I, I thought they were going. They were up 7 nothing. And, and I'm then, like, my my dreaded rival is going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I was in shambles. And then it just completely turned. Just 38 like straight points after that. So, uh, you know, that... That uh, made it for a weird vibe because nobody wanted to listen to any of our shows and nobody wanted to talk no. about the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm having a little bit of deja vu because, like, what's going on right now is an uncertain quarterback situation. And mm -hmm. what happened the last time I was at Radio Row was an uncertain quarterback situation. And what we ended up talking about a lot more was who the Vikings were going to get to be their quarterback. And at the time... I was not a huge fan of the idea of getting Kirk Cousins. Uh, I was a little more into, like, Alex Smith was available or, or going to the draft where there were going to be five first-rounders. And and now we're having the same sort of, like, should they go get Baker Mayfield? Should they? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it kind of feels like the fans are equally as depressed and not excited about the Super Bowl because their team's direction is pretty unclear. So I can't speak. This is going to make me sound like a real jerk. I can't speak to quarterback uh, indecision or confusion because really in my entire lifetime, I've experienced it for like all of three weeks. And it yeah. was this last October. Uh -huh. And even in October, I'm like, well, let's just see how they're like, give me three more months of the season. And, and I guess if we're screwed, then we're screwed and we'll deal with that at the end of the year. So even mentally, I was able to kind of like stay off any panic about the quarterback situation but like I, I think the most depressing thing in sports and this is what i can speak to i don't think there is a more 
like gutting, heart wrenching loss in any sport for any team than a conference championship loss yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. I, it, it just does not get worse than that. And I feel so much for Lions fans with what they went. I don't. I don't think it gets worse than that. I've seen the Bucks lose in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Brewers in the NLCS. The NFC Championship game is it's just miserable. Yeah, because you know, I mean, think about how many times the Vikings have been to the NFC Championship. Probably, let's even say in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was uh, born in 1986, and so they went in '87. I don't know if that counts. So my lifetime watching football. They went in 98, 2009, and 2017. And uh, one other time where they lost 41 to nothing with uh, Dante Culpepper uh, in the year that the Giants went to the Super Bowl, 2000. So, like, that's... Those losses are easier. I've seen my team get blown out in yeah. a conference. It's yeah. still depressing, but it's not like you're going to be sad for months right, depressing. Right. But 1998 still comes up on a regular basis with Vikings fans because that was, and Favre, of course, like, those are the times where they felt like you're a field goal away. You <sighs> are a 12 men in the huddle or a throw across the body away from being right there. And I think almost everybody would rather lose in the divisional round than take a a missed field goal by Gary Anderson at the end. And it impacts like many years after if you don't win a Super Bowl because you feel like you were that close and you go into the offseason saying, well, we'll just get back there. But almost nobody does. And I agree with Dan Campbell when he says, like, it might be your one shot. I think Detroit's going to be good for a long time. But. Do you always get to the NFC Championship when you're good for a long time? We know nope. that even with Packers teams that won 13 games that did not reach championship weekend. So uh, it is, it is. I think, the hardest to be that close, to lose by three points, to lose the way that they did. And oftentimes, if you lose that game in the middle of the season, you're like, oh, that was a tough one. But you lose it there, and it's like you were that close, and the sand just sort of went through your fingers. Uh, yeah, and, and like Vikings fans are still... I think damaged from all of that. It also really impacted their decision to sign Kirk Cousins because they felt like, oh, we're this close. Had they lost in the divisional round and not had the Minneapolis miracle, I don't know if they go get Kirk necessarily. Interesting. If they would have felt more like, oh, it's kind of a fun wild ride season, but maybe we need to draft a quarterback or something. When they got to the NFC Championship, then it was what we really needed was just a quarterback away, which turned out obviously not to be true. The Kirk Cousins, it's funny. You said you were hesitant to get excited about Kirk Cousins, and I would imagine it's because everything you feared has happened. It's not that he's been bad. It's not that the Vikings have been bad. It's just they've gotten a little bit farther away every year. There's a little bit more roster atrophy every single year, and that's kind of what comes with paying a quarterback big money. And I, it's weird. Kirk's PR, his public image, and I don't know if it's just from the quarterback show, That's probably something you guys talked about a lot in Minnesota. I've never seen someone be the exact same player for this long amount of time and to just like the the, the approval rating just goes up. (laughs) It's, It's very like if he was a politician, he would be a fascinating case study. It probably works the same with politicians and approval ratings that they don't change, but whatever's going on in the public uh, changes how people feel about them. Uh, with uh, yeah, that's deep. That's holy. Use that holy audience cats. when you think about politicians. Uh, but uh, you know, with with Kirk, that's uh, an interesting point because the expectations were so high when he arrived to miss the playoffs in his first year after he got there. That was the worst first impression you ever could have made. He got an OC fired. Of course, the OC had it coming, but he, you know, an offensive coordinator gets fired. And then the next year, 
He's beefing with Mike Zimmer kind of the whole year. His receiver wants to be traded, Stephon Diggs. And it's like the most ugly, miserable team that goes to a division round, wins a game, and then gets their doors blown off against San Francisco. And it was clear at that point it just wasn't going to be good enough. And then we've just wasted our time since. And that's weird to say because they had a 13-win season that Netflix documented. But they were never a really good team at that point. When you can't outscore your opponents over a whole season, even if you win 13, games you're not a great team yeah I, I looked this up that there's only been a handful of teams ever who have not outscored their opponents by a hundred and gone to the super bowl so you weren't going to go to the super bowl and if you're never going to be strong enough to get there then what are we doing here with a veteran quarterback who's really super expensive and the sick irony is exactly what you brought up that kirk cousins has been better in minnesota than he was in washington Mm -hmm. they have received a better version and a guy who until this year played every game all the way through so he was healthy and he was better than he ever was and they won one playoff game the entire time and the fact that there could be any discussion about bringing him back honestly blows my mind like why you're talking about a guy who's not going to get better he's only going to get worse in a division that has all of a sudden just turned into like a super division potentially going forward if caleb williams turns out to be a great player and jordan love continues then this division is going to be a a bear for a long time (laughs) Uh, going forward, and how are you going to stay neck and neck with these other teams with a quarterback who has just gotten you to an okay position, who's also salary cap hit has yeah. been a huge problem to work around. So could they try to go all in and make a million signings and everything else? Yeah. But again, like, have we seen that really work? So they're they're in a tough spot because they weren't bad enough, thanks to Josh Dobbs, yeah. to get Jaden Daniels. What a son of a gun. Well, and also, look, you know, people, you guys know nothing about this. So let me tell you a story. <laughs> please please tell, tell me. Tell you a story about tanking. Tell me how you feel. Packers fans, most of them know nothing about tanking. I know nothing about other tanking. teams around the league, like the Detroit Lions and the Bears, have to tank. Yeah. Right? Because they don't I've just heard of this. get quarterbacks forever. And in the NFL, you could turn things around fast if you get a bunch of draft capital and a bunch of cap space. And we know this. And you're decisive about it. It's yes. not always, it doesn't always work. Sometimes it fails because you get Aaron Rodgers and he tears his Achilles uh, on the first play or whatever. But when it works, it really works. And we saw like the Cincinnati Bengals draft number one, the quarterback was good, right back up to the top. And the Vikings have never wanted to really take a reset mentality. And so they kept kicking the ball down the road, kicking the ball down the road, trying to, you know, sign Zadarius Smith, for example, who was great for them. Again, another player who was great, didn't make a difference. Your complete team was not strong enough. And then if you don't have a playmaking quarterback, and this is the part that Vikings fans should be really pissed about, is that... You Maybe you could say, oh, Jared Goff's a pocket quarterback and he's not going to get them over the top, even though he consistently has top five offenses. Well, Caleb Williams or Drake May, whoever they pick, playmaking quarterback. Mm -hmm. Jordan Love, playmaking quarterback. So do you want the 36-year-old statue quarterback to come in and hope to be sort of competitive? Like, But so many times they've had a chance to take it down and try again, and they've been like, no, 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 run back Kirk. Run back, Kirk. Another extension, another extension. And so to not give him an extension this last time, last last offseason, I thought was massive progress for this team to actually end to move on from Zadarius Smith and move on from Delvin Cook. I thought this is actually what you guys have been needing to do. Now they have to complete it by drafting a quarterback. And if they don't, then 
I don't even know what you're doing. You're just hanging out in the middle. I want to ask you about your book. Matt Collar is your Purple Insider. He's been on the show many times. But something I just thought of when you're saying that. One of the weirdest phenomenons in the NFL with fans, and maybe other fan bases do this, but I see it with Vikings fans all the time. Anytime something happens late in the playoffs, like Brock Purdy goes, Stafford goes on a run. Wisco Sports Show. We're live at Radio Row. Matthew Collar is here. Uh, some technical difficulties here and there. It's remote broadcasts. You're a radio guy. You're a you're a broadcast recording podcast guy. It's how it works sometimes. So we're live here at Radio Row. Matthew Collar. Uh, we dropped out right before us. So we took the break. I want to talk about your book. You were. I feel bad because I'm like I want to get it so I can read it. And you're like, well, I'll just give you a copy, which was not my intention, but it's appreciated. It's football is a numbers game, and it's all about pro football focus which is something that i like i love this topic because when i first had renner and sam monson on i was so confused about what it is they actually do it's like do you guys just crunch numbers and both of the interviews were terrible and i've learned since you know how to ask questions to those two guys but tell me why and how you started this well first i'm happy to give you a copy because i brought a bunch of them in my bag and they're not going back because they are way too heavy to carry around so you can have it well thank you um well, you know, around 2021, I started to notice that a lot of the things that people like Mike Renner and Sam Monson, who worked for PFF, had been talking about as far as, like, what analytics said, started to match up with how the NFL was actually operating. And that's from many different perspectives, from a coaching perspective, the going forward and fourth downs type of thing, but also management, front office, the draft, where it was unusual to see running backs taken high in the draft. Yeah. And everyone lost their mind. It was like, you know, 10 years ago, this would not have been a concern at all. But it's insane that Saquon Barkley went as high as he did as recently yeah. as he did. It blows my mind that that's a thing that happened. Well, Nothing right. against and Saquon. It's just, it's nuts to me. And even, you know, like... <laughs> Leonard Fournette, they yeah. could have drafted Patrick Mahomes, and instead they took Leonard Fournette. But, um, you know, that's another example, though, of, like, the a way that's that you can really see and grasp onto of how the drafting and the focus on certain positions that uh, are worth more and, and knowing what they're worth as a front office or as a decision maker, you have to know that, right? Like what the numbers say about how much uh, that is worth. And then, you know, like there's all sorts of like mini little ways that we start to see this show up. And I, I just started, got to be interested in this. Like, why is it that the NFL is finally starting to adopt things that maybe football outsiders and Aaron Schatz were saying 15 years ago or the PFF has kind of taken on and yeah. taken the ball and run with? And uh, the answer kind of traced back a little bit to the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles, which are on the front of the book, where when Doug Peterson and the Eagles used a very heavy analytics approach, especially to going for it on fourth down, I think a lot of teams took notice. Now, they were using PFF before that, but since then, the level of adopting of analytics of football, whether it's the decisions or game planning or anything else, has shot through the roof. But it's also like there's more data than teams know really what to do with. And so we're kind of in a moment, right? Like we're sort of where baseball was right after Moneyball, where everyone's going, we know this is what we got to have, yeah. and we know this works, and no one's even debating it. What do we 
do with it. But what do we do with it? How do we make it work? How do we get an advantage and an edge? So I went kind of looking for that, and PFF was at the center of that. And what I found was a really fascinating story and also answers to a lot of the questions that people have. Where are the grades from? Or, you know, where are they from? Yeah. How do they work? Did the NFL care about the grades? And, and all sorts of things like that that I wanted to answer. And the, and the answer is a lot of times it's all over the map. Like some people in teams don't think the grades are useful and there are some people that use them every single day so it is yeah it's fascinating there is no like sometimes when we talk about analytics it's like this big monolith beast that just is it's like the well the analytics say this it's like well someone whose model says this and that person says this in their interpretation of the analytics it doesn't mean that Everyone who ever looked at this problem would all come to the same conclusion with the numbers, which I, you know, chronicled and profiled a lot of different people and their different lanes within analytics, like Mike Renner being a draft expert uh, or Eric Eager as a data scientist. So Mm -hmm. one of his main goals was seeing what these grades really tell us, like how much they correlate from year to year or, or how much a quarterback's grade correlates to how often they win. You know, things like that, that someone like Eric has looked at that we're all kind of learning more every day through the numbers. So I am not a data driver. I'm not a math guy. I just, it was never the way my brain worked. Um, and of course, math people would say, oh, it's because you didn't put, anyone could be a math guy. Okay, sure. Maybe if I really went hard at it. I just think it's, you know, as football modernizes, I, I see more sharps, more football people and people like Eric, we're taking the approach of thinking like, okay, this thing we're about to do, what if it's a home run? Like, let's take this this decision that we're making and assume that it's going to go as well as possible. Where does that put us? Right? Like, if we draft this position and he's amazing and, you know, how much money are we going to save on the rookie deal? How much money are we going to have to pay him? If we go for this fourth down, where is it going to get us? Right? If we bring in this quarterback and we have to pay him, the, you know, what, just assuming the best sometimes. Assuming, okay, if we do this and it goes as well as we could possibly ever imagine, where does that put us? And I think that takes us to some really interesting mental places with decisions to draft or to sign or to trade. I, I really like that football's being thought about that way. As opposed to, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does? I love that. Well, and whether you know some people like it or not, every single play has odds involved with it. And this is what expected points added tries to do, right? Which is you're trying to figure out what are the chances that you score on this play, every play, or like what are the chances that your drive produces points yeah. based on every single result. And that goes for actually everything. Like, what what is the best outcome, but what are the odds of the best outcome for every single decision? So if you draft a wide receiver, for example, if you draft a wide receiver in the second round versus taking a high first-round pick, or I think what the Packers did was very smart in throwing numbers at the wide receiver position. Hell because yeah. we've seen so many second- and third-round picks and fourth-rounder in Amon Ross St. Brown, we've seen so many of those guys have success because they weren't perfect prospects. This guy wasn't tall enough this guy didn't run this route well enough whatever it might be but they have draftable skills that if you put a lot of good players in that position and something that eric really changed my mind with in in football was he wrote a piece about how uh the number two and number three wide receivers often dictate playoff success more than wide receiver one yeah and so if you only have Devontae adams the other team is going to spend their whole week on everything to try to slow down Devontae Adams. So all these things, I think, we're, we're talking about shining a little more light and studying a little closer and trying to find whatever small edges we can to do it in the most efficient way, which is a, a chase 
that can be worth 75,000 words, and I just scratched the surface in my book. And that's why I like it so much is that this this chase never ends of what data can tell us what yeah. and how can we make decisions that are 1% smarter than our opponents. Well, and, and you know, like what I love about it is every, everyone, the analytics, right? Every coach and GM and personnel, they're all interpreting this differently, too. Yep. Yep. So they're, they're all viewing the data in a different way and using it, to, which is fun. And I'm sure as you went around Radio Road today and you were telling me a little bit earlier, you know, talking with Scott Farrell and others, like you all of a sudden are de facto put on the defense for people <laughs> yeah. who don't like some of these things. So I'm sure you, you had to work hard and, and do that. And, and just for the sake of my audience, to wrap up with one Packers thing, what you said about wide receiver and the way they just threw numbers at it, that was the thing. And I, we were all excited to see what Jordan Love was. I think I was most excited coming into the season that the Packers hit the reset button because for yeah. years it was Devontae Adams and we'll try to fill in the rest as best we can. And and that like puts a fan base in an interesting spot. It's like I need to convince myself Alan Lazard is this. I need to convince myself and this year to just start completely over and I just get to watch all these lottery tickets and see what they become. And it wasn't just wide receiver. It was tight end too. And I, it was rough early because they were all learning how to be NFL wide receivers and tight ends. But I think that was the most fun part of the year. And honestly, one of the more like progressive woke things the Packers have done in a long time was just throw numbers at that position and start over. Well, I loved and, it. And look, the reality is if they had missed on all those guys and they couldn't play, then we would call them dummies. But that's yeah. and that I think is one of the hardest parts is because every decision it, that is connected in some way to analytics. I don't know if that one is, but I, I would say so. It's like an analytical approach to draft more wide receivers because it's the most valuable position that's non-quarterback. But if it doesn't work out, and this goes back to the Dan Campbell, then we're always going to go, well, I guess it wasn't the right decision. I mean, so, and every decision is so impacted. Like, if Jordan Love was terrible, those receivers were never going to know yeah. how good they were. And, and, that, and that's a, a major challenge. The other side, I don't think we really knew what Jordan Love was until those wide receivers reached a baseline level yeah. of competence, right. which happened, you know, we got towards Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, guys are in the right spots now. So Jordan Love feels more confident, and they can actually start they actually start building something. Well, football is a numbers game. Matthew Collar, I appreciate you hanging through the break. Sorry, our connection. Oh, dropped. yeah. No, all good. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sure I'll see you around this week. Thanks for joining Bill's show. Thanks for coming on. You're just the best. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Appreciate having me. Matthew Collar, Purple Insider. Follow him on Twitter. Get his book. I'm going to tweet out a picture because he rules and was nice enough to give me a copy. We're going to come back. Eric Eager, Sumer Sports next. Wisco Sports. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. It's the Wisco Sports Show. We're pulling off a heist this week. This is hilarious to me. Uh, Bill brought me along to help out with his show and for vibes. I'd like to think I'm good for vibes. I always have a positive attitude, especially when we're up at 5.45 in the morning to get down here to broadcast. Uh, and I am somehow, again, able to broadcast on Radio Row. I have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Eric Eager of Sumer Sports is here. Uh, this is this rules. I can't believe people do this every year and get to look forward to this every year. This rocks. It does. It is a lot of fun. I don't think you're an imposter. I think you've uh, you held your own last night in the hangout session that we had. Uh, you've held your own all day today, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean this is this is great. Um, I, I it's so fun to see everybody in their element on yeah. days like today. You are in your element, Vegas gambling, <laughs> talking football. You you said you did probably a dozen radio hits today. You have never been 
unequipped to talk about any football topic that I've ever thrown at you. Not that I'm really going to the well. Like, we kind of have some similar football sensibilities. Was there one thing that somebody asked you today where you're like, Jesus, like, God, God no. take it. I, that's a good question. Actually, uh, there was a cool, like, Tennessee radio station that kind of went after me about, like, why do you guys even exist? And that was that was fun. Um, <laughs> and at the end, they were like, hey, I, I actually learned a lot from you. So that was good. Um, but, no, I mean, look, I've, I've, you know, I'm, like, uniquely suited for my job. I've, I've thought about this my whole life. And so it's fun to, it's fun to you know. And it's nice as a Chiefs fan. You know, I've covered four Super Bowl radio rows, and they've been in three of them. So I do feel somewhat equipped. And, you know, the Niners have been in two of the four I've gone to, so I've been able to talk about them as well. So I, I if this was like Titans, Jags, or it would never be Titans, Jags, Titans, uh, Bears, I think I'd be a little bit worse at it. Really? Well, not, uh, I mean, marginally so, right? Sure, you sure, would sure, be, sure. right? If, you, if, if, it was, uh, if it was like Cardinals... Ugh. Jaguars. Ugh. I think like all of us would be like, Ugh. It, would, like it would feel weird. Bengals Rams wasn't a great week. I didn't think I didn't think that was particularly fun. I I I have come around on my Stafford takes. By the way, I was Stafford's overrated for a long time, yeah. and and now I I don't know. He's one of the guys. He can get red hot for a month and win you a Super Bowl. Stafford is a perfect. Like we've all had these people in our lives, right? Stafford is like a great like underdog person uh-huh. you know my roommate in college was such a good backup player because he talks so much crap um but then when he ever started he was terrible and i think stafford as an underdog is so good because he does make all these plays when you expect anything out of him it's not great yeah um so i've come around to that take as well yeah. Folsian, as i believe i've Foles, you. yeah you have a vocabulary of your own which is one of my favorite because i love expressions i just love yeah. you know stuff like that that's one of my favorite parts about listening to you talk football is there some is there some Matt Stafford and Jordan Love where it's like he just caught fire at the end of the year and when he is on and he's hot he can play as well as anyone I I don't know that he cooled off in the Niners game you know a couple missed opportunities at the yeah. end of the game but what did you make of the streak that Jordan Love went on down this season it was good I think the one thing that you the Stafford his whole career was always hurt you know, and even the his great year of 2011, yep. where he threw the 40-something touchdowns, he broke his hand in the middle of the season. It's always a thumb. Thumb yeah, and a back. A back, something crazy where he's not he's not well. The thing with Love is he was healthy the whole year. I think that that's, you know, uh, and Rodgers was mostly healthy. Favre, of course, had his, you know, streak. Um, if he could stay healthy, I think that's always an impediment for some of these guys. And I think that was always the impediment for Stafford. He was never healthy fully. Um, the elbow thing was always a thing. So I think for Love, if he could stay healthy, I think he'll he'll clear Stafford. It makes me happy. I, I've just I, I enjoyed the season so much. You know, talking with with people like you who who talk football and are guests on my show, but they're not necessarily well, they're not Packers fans, and they're like, you just have to be thrilled, thrilled, right? And like this was one of the most fun Packers seasons of my entire life. I loved it. I was talking about this with Matthew. They drafted a brand new wide receiving core. They just bought a bunch of lottery tickets at wide receiver mm-hmm. and tight end and threw them out onto the field. Yep. And for years, I had to try to convince myself that any receiver behind Devonte Adams was good enough when they probably weren't. Yeah. And that was just such a fun dynamic change this year. I had a ball. Yeah, and, and but it was dark at the beginning. I mean, especially like week one, Aaron Jones was kind of the guy that, you know, was the, the linchpin of that offense. He was hurt. Offense really struggled. Um, I remember I was at Falcons Packers uh, when, you know, Watson was out and Jones was out and Bakhtiari's out. And it's like, how the, how is this team going to generate offense? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the year, it's like, how can this team fail with these many, you know, this many great young players? 
um, at the wide receiver position. It was a really cool evolution for them. So you've tweeted about this, and you could probably jump in and finish this thought for me, but you've talked about a team going from three wins to nine wins to thir- right, making these yeah. leaps. And as you leap higher up the win total, it gets more difficult. What do the Packers have to do next to take that next jump? Yeah, I think now they need to have a, a thematically consistent understanding of how they're going to build the defense. Like, okay. there's good pieces. Rashawn Gary's a good piece. Kenny Clark's a good piece. Uh, you know, how long, ever long Jerry Alexander will be there. That's a, a fine you know player. Quay Walker, I think, can be good eventually. Um, but, like, Jeff Halfley coming in, like, what is, you know, how are you going to build that defense in his image? Um, and like this. Can, yeah, the one true. Uh, Kansas City's in here because they built a defense exactly the way Steve Spagnuolo wants to. And there was always friction between Brett Beach and a- Andy Reid because, you know, Spags would play the older guys that knew the system, but they were slower and out of position. You know, they're slower and they couldn't make the plays. Yep. And Brett would draft these like young guys. And they would never want to play him because they he thought that they couldn't learn it. And then eventually, like, there was – they coalesced and, like, they were like, we're going to draft guys that you want. And and then Spags played them. And it was dark at times. I mean, they lost a game of Buffalo where young DB struggled uh, in 2022. But at the end of the year, I mean, they played for the majority of the AFC Championship game last year, three mm-hmm. uh, rookie corners. And, you know, I think when – when he gets in there halfway, I think that they're going to have to ask themselves at the front office with Gutekunst and, and him, you know, what do what kind of players do we want and what is the path to getting them on this football team? Because I don't think a lot of teams have that sort of consistency thematically. Well, you said something earlier on Bill's show that I wrote down. You talked about, because the Packers have been soft against the run my entire life, and I've never really been able to put my finger on why. Yeah. They've had multiple DCs, and it's always been the case. But you said they're not necessarily poor against the run. They don't have the players on the back end to cover in a way that helps and runs support, and that's not something I considered. I think Goody's going to, our fellow UWL man, I think with two seconds, two-thirds, like, it's the back end of the defense. Yeah. It's safeties and corners, and you just attack it the way they attacked wide receiver last year, right? Just a bunch of lottery tickets and throw them out there. Well, and I think why it was the pick to kind of, you know, back – that was the one big insight I had at PFF at, at the end was, you know, the nose tackle is really important in the passing game. Not if they, they don't necessarily have to rush the passer well, but they they make, they allow you to play those numbers. If you can hold, and this is one of the reasons why offenses have been poor this year is the offenses last year could run against light boxes really well, like four and a half yards of carry, positive, you know, 50% success rates. This year, all those have gone down. So defenses have figured out, if we, fig- if we find some fatty to go and stop the run, we can play those two high shells and offenses can't beat us because we can still be gap sound and everything with six or seven in the box. That has been the one thing that defenses have really done well against offenses that wasn't the case last year. Uh, Jordan Davis being a high pick, Travis Jones for, for Baltimore being another. You know, the value of that position has really come to light. The Packers tried that with Wyatt. The one of the reasons, though, that they play the, the the back softly is out of necessity, mm-hmm. and they don't have the front to fill it out. So they can go out and get a nose tackle, but for the large, for a big part, is also maybe you just play tighter, bumping around coverage because there aren't that many actual offenses that can beat you over the top. You look at the NFC North specifically. Minnesota's probably not going to have a quarterback that people there's people are scared of next year. Chicago certainly isn't unless they draft Caleb Williams, and even then he'll be a rookie. And 
you know, Jared Goff, I think teams are more scared of that running game than they are of Jared Goff. So in your own division, you don't necessarily have to be all that afraid uh, of the downfield passing. So why don't you get DBs that can help you be more risky on the back end and then go ahead and, and, and you know, develop defensive linemen that can be sturdy against the point of attack? I like their defensive line. Well, Kenny Clark obviously is, I mean, he just would whoop Garrett Bradbury's ass twice a year, and that was a privilege every time. But, like, Carl Brooks, Wyatt, Wyatt's the weirdest player. He wins as as well and as quickly as, as any defensive lineman. He just can't finish plays. Yeah. I don't know what you do with that. I, I, I like their their players along the defensive line. Before I let you go, Super Bowl, my take for two weeks or a week and a half or however, I don't even know what day it is or what time it is, uh, has been I think this game's going to look a lot like the last Chiefs-Niners game where it's like, wow, both of these teams are really good and they're dueling, and then at the end, both quarterbacks need to make a throw and Purdy doesn't and Mahomes does. Yeah, I think that that's a popular take, and I think that that's probably reasonable. Um, I, I think, you know, that last Niners-Chiefs game now, the total was higher. It was 53-and-a-half. Uh, that game went under. It was an under game the whole time. I think this game plays under, too. I think the way that the NFL is, I think the Niners are going to be able to run the ball, but not explosively. I think they're going to pick up first downs, but Chiefs are going to stiffen in the red zone. Niners use a third-round pick on a kicker who's 50% in the playoffs. Chiefs kicker has been, you know, Harrison Bucker has been phenomenal. It's an indoor game. I think the Chiefs are going to win this game, you know, with, you know, I, I think a score like 24-13 feels incredibly possible here. And to your point, Chiefs going into this postseason, worst team in the NFL in the postseason in turnover differential, penalty differential. They've turned that around. Yeah. If they revert back to that, it's going to be a meat grinder for them. If they if they can keep that back on track, uh, I think they have a real solid chance of turning the game and, and becoming the favorites in this game. Well, it was, it was funny, too, you know, going into the Baltimore game. I'm like, guys, I don't think Mahomes is losing. Yeah. Like, I just don't think the Chiefs lose this game. And everyone's like, oh, Baltimore 35, Chiefs 28. It's like, if you watch the Chiefs all year, like, for all we make about their wide receivers, tight ends, their defense doesn't allow points. They yeah. give up 30 all year. So I I can't see Brock Purdy winning. Super Bowl, Eric. So just take well, it. And, and you can't see, you know, I know this is going to hurt Pack, but Mark Valdez Scanling has not lost a playoff game as a Chief. Dude, he, we we all rip him. In 2020, he outperformed Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams dropped a touchdown in that game. Yeah. He was nails against the Buccaneers. And so. he was nails, you know, he's got he's got a 100-yard game in the playoffs to the Chiefs. He's got, you know, touchdowns and and then he sealed the game last week. It was it was very serendipitous uh, to see MPS, uh, you know, and the, and a, what's been a tumultuous year for him with a big catch. I'm just glad you're thrilled and your Chiefs are back and and you're in your element. Thank you, Eric, for the time. Rest easy tonight because you were you and Matt Collar are like the hardest working guys. You and Thomas on Radio Row. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. Also showed me a great time gambling last night. Uh, I made like almost forty bucks, which to me is a, a fortune. So Thomas Dimitrov is going to wrap up the show. Sumer Sports, a lot of smart football minds on the show tonight. We'll wrap things up. Wisco Sports Show from Radio Row next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. <laughs> Wisco Sports Show, very successful first day, Radio Row. The Bill Michaels Show is riveting. If you're going to go back and check out the podcast, uh, Maggie Gray was on in the last hour talking about Aaron Rodgers and what it was like for a year in New York. It was awesome. I was enthralled. So go and find that in the podcast. Bill back tomorrow with lots of guests. We wrapped up tonight's show. Thomas Dimitrov, who's at Sumer Sports, who's GM of the Falcons. He was a scout with the Patriots, a longtime really, really successful figure in the NFL. Now working with that last guest, Eric Eager at Sumer Sports. Thomas, welcome. 
thanks for having me. I this mean, has been a long day for you. <laughs> it's not lost on me that you're still here talking I love of football. It. No, this is a great relaxed area, you know, a little under under assumed here, whatever like we, the word is. That's good. I like it. I like us to be comfortable. So something I noticed, because I watch you and Eric's show, uh, you are very stylish, and you are very... The, the the brand of you is very different from my general manager Brian Gudikinst, who could not be more Midwest in his sensibilities and his and his attire, uh, and I just get a kick out of that. What do you think? Let me ask you about Brian Gudikinst. It's a guy when he was hired, nobody knew anything about him. We thought Elliot Wolf would be the man. Sure. What do you think about Goody? He did the, uh, the Packers I was just going to say that. I was going to lead in and call him Goody because we all knew him as Goody on the road when we all scouted. Look. Very reputable uh, guy as far as evaluation. Comes from a football family. Of course, his dad was a longtime coach. A lot of respect about, you know, for him. And everyone looked at him thinking it was just a matter of time. I think, well, was he 40 when he got the job? Or was he not, or even younger than that, maybe? He was, he was around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had been, we all thought it would be Elliot Wolf, And, and you know, Ted towards the end, and he never did anything with media. So he, he didn't. He didn't necessarily cater to fans, right? So it was easy, and he never did free agency, which would frustrate fans. And we thought Elliot Wolf, Elliot Wolf, and then all of a sudden it's Gudikins, and Elliot Wolf leaves. So that whole transition was very weird. But it seems like, as Packers GM, a rite of passage is moving on in a dramatic way from the quarterback and then drafting your own, and, and he nailed that. So he's off to a good start. He's off to a very good start. And watching him over the years do what he needed to do, and that's not easy. That idea of dealing with, in my mind, one of the very best uh, quarterbacks to ever play mm-hmm. and navigate that as a as a fairly young general manager he's not that young but i mean it's you have you have to have your wits about you you have to deal with the ups and downs of it and i i've always thought that he did a really good job i have not yet sold him on data i'm trying to get our product really? in the building but we haven't done that yet so so that's interesting to me matt lafleur jeff halfley the new defensive coordinator i read and i don't remember if it was eric or who i read it from data oriented at boston college right wanted to have that in the building so hopefully that's a part of the packers i, I want to ask you about this hiring cycle and if you've talked about this a dozen times today i apologize but you know like when mike vrabel loses a job or belichick is is losing a job you know as fans we always say well they'll have their pick of jobs tomorrow Right. We right. always say that as fans. And it's it's never really the case. So why is fan perception of some of these coaches? Why is it so different than than what these decision makers see and the decisions that they make in these hiring cycles? Well, I want to lead off by saying first, Bill Belichick, unfathomable that he doesn't have a job. And, and there's there are many reasons for that. And in my mind, I don't think for this group of general managers in place or the owners, this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity yeah. to get someone like him who doesn't normally just finish off with their team and then retire. The fact that he's available and that, that he wasn't picked up, I had a 90-10 on my board with Arthur Blank and co. in Atlanta taking him. I thought he was going there. Shows what I know. It wasn't yeah. like I was in the middle of it. But but the reality is I thought, you know, coming off of Arthur Smith, I just thought what a great opportunity to have one of the very best coaches in there. I think there are a lot of people that like him. Quite honestly, I have talked to other people in the league who are GMs who would say, if if I could convince my owner into allowing me to let our current head coach go, that that would be someone I would seriously consider. Doesn't mean anything, but for the fact that I'm sure there were some GMs out there salivating at the thought of having the opportunity, yeah. but they didn't. Well, and, and next year, and Eric mentioned this earlier on on our afternoon show. You know, next year there are a couple coaches, Sirianni, maybe McDermott who they're not on the hot seat, but they're distressed a little bit. And maybe Belichick ends up waiting here and goes to a job that, that fits him a little bit better than maybe every job minus the Chargers job did this offseason. You worked with owners, right? So you're, you're making these high-up decisions. 
right? When you're hiring a coach, is there a desire from an owner or for a general manager to want to discover their own guy? It's like, I don't want to take a guy who coached over here and is retread, even if they're successful. Like, is there a desire to discover something, these big, powerful decision makers? That's a good question. In all of my years, we never had those discussions where we wanted to hit. What, but remember, in Atlanta, when we took Mike Smith, mm-hmm. he was kind of an unknown. What I wanted to do as a first-time general manager is have a guy I could work with. I was so, I was so uh, interested in what happened at San Diego when Marty Schottenheimer was in there with a guy named A.J. Smith. Two great football minds, but both hard-nosed. And I thought, the last thing I want to do is kick my time off as a GM with a coach I couldn't work with. Yeah. Bring in Mike Smith. Wins Coach of the Year three times out of five years. That's a big deal. I'm not, that's not a back pad as much as it. You can get a coach out there that doesn't, you know, isn't known or is way down the list of consideration, and they can hit it. You can also get the other way, right? You can you can also get a guy in there who's proven but just doesn't work in a certain scheme. That's why I keep coming back to Bill. Maybe there are people. Bill deserves to be the czar of any organization, right? So? He okay. definitely does. But there are also teams out there that want to keep some status quo in their building, and they're just. They're, they're just, uh, for lack of a better phrase, wigged out by the idea that, wow, I'm going to have to turn this all upside down. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Yeah, well, these are decision makers that are worried about job security. There's egos involved. And, and as fans, right, we only think about the wins and losses. That stuff really doesn't that doesn't occur to us because it's not our jobs. It's not our livelihood. And I think Rodgers is a big part of that. Like, one of the, I think the best thing about Aaron Rodgers, and in years, you know, when we compare him to Breeze and kind of other, you know, contemporaries of his, he just had such a high ceiling. He kept folks employed. He got people paid. He, he was an enterprise, yeah. right, in and of himself, which is cool. One last question before we wrap up. How does Goody really this offseason complete the rebuild how do they go from young pluck, plucky up-and-coming team to a force they got a lot of draft picks this year so how, how do you complete that yeah I, I wish i could speak a little more intelligently about it because i'm just on the verge of jumping in on what's going on in the draft i will say though i mean right now i mean the way that that team played and the way that your quarterback played right down the stretch shows me that like there's there's some there's some really uh, interesting areas to continue to grow and to let him continue to grow. What was his uh, off the top of my head? You know his. What was his percentage? What was what was his? Do you remember? Uh, I'm so, I'm, you. so I'm not a numbers guy. Well, it's okay. it's if you look at the whole year, it's one thing. But if you look like post Thanksgiving, kind of when him and all those young players started to yeah. click, it's 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 different. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I, look, I, they're a young team, right? And all all I just think continue to pull that team together. At I'm a I'm a I mean I'm a big believer in making sure that you have the right firepower around those those quarterbacks and i know people would argue well that's why td never really wanted to focus on on the o-line it's a bunch of crap of course i wanted the o-line but you have to have the studs around you i'm a big believer as we all are left tackle dn corner receiver quarterback of course the pillar positions you got to continue to build on the pillar positions to make sure you can build for years to come yeah, I'm excited. We got a couple second rounds, a couple third round picks, and yep. and it's fun to see. It was an Aaron Rodgers team. They're hanging on and they're trying to squeeze every drop out of. The, and you know they they weren't able to do it. But yep. it's it's an exhausting thing as a fan base to just like constantly consider what if they can't, what if they don't, yep. and to just finally take a deep breath and say, okay, we're going to start again from the ground up and grow something new. It's a cool feeling. So. Cool feeling. Yeah. Thank you, Thomas. You're Enjoy the well. week in Super Bowl. This was this was awesome. Thank you for coming on. Great to be here. Awesome, Thomas Dimitrov. Sumer Sports, watch his show with Eric. Those two are great. They're a very dynamic duo. Uh, I really like the Sumer Sports show. So thanks to Eric. Thanks to Matt. Tomorrow, you know what's funny? At the end of the show, we always talk about who's coming on tomorrow. I don't know yet. Whoever I can grab, I'll just hang out in the bathroom 
and try to catch Florio in front of the <laughs> in front of the sink or something. Thanks for dealing with the technical difficulties. Dropped off a couple of times. Uh, hopefully we can minimize those throughout the week. But you know that's part of being out of the studio, being somewhere cool. So I'm going to go hunt down Mike Clemens, Bill Michaels at opening night for the Super Bowl. Uh, and see what that's all about. Follow me on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. I'll post some content, some pictures, some video. Talk to you tomorrow, 4 p.m., Radio Row, day number two. Thanks for listening.